something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that decodes history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're talking about how a British symbol for nuclear disarmament became the international shorthand for peace itself. The day was April 4th, 1958. The world-famous peace symbol was displayed for the first time at an anti-nuclear war rally in London. On that Good Friday, thousands of protesters gathered in Trafalgar Square in response to a recent series of nuclear weapons tests conducted by the UK. The rally was organized by the Direct Action Committee, or the DAC, and its main event was a long-distance march that was set to last the whole holiday weekend. The plan was to set out from London and march 50 miles west to the small village of Aldermaston, where British nuclear weapons were being built and stockpiled. Along the way, most of the protesters carried signs and banners adorned with a new symbol that had been designed specifically for the march. Consisting of just three lines inside a circle, the simple design would go on to become one of the most widely recognized symbols in human history. The peace symbol, as it would come to be known, was designed by British artist Gerald Holtham, a member of the DAC. In early 1958, he was tasked with making the banners and signs for the group's first major march in April. Holtham didn't want his signs to rely on the standard slogans of the era. Instead, he wanted to create a striking new visual for the event, something that would strengthen their message and stick in the minds of those who saw it. As a Christian pacifist, Holtam initially planned to use a cross enclosed within a circle. However, the idea of putting the symbol on banners reminded him too much of the Crusades, so he ultimately settled on something a bit more abstract. Holtam's final design, which is sometimes described as a crow's foot, 
was partly inspired by semaphore flag signals, a visual language used by sailors to communicate from a distance. In the semaphore alphabet, the letter N is expressed by two flags angled downward at 45 degrees, while the letter D is represented by one flag pointed up and the other straight down. Holtum overlaid those two shapes in his design, with the letters N and D standing for nuclear disarmament. That said, Holtum also had something more personal in mind when he drew those angled lines. In a letter to Hugh Brock, editor of the British magazine Peace News, the artist explained the symbol in more detail, saying, quote, I was in despair, deep despair. I drew myself, the representative of an individual in despair, with hand palms outstretched outwards and downwards in the manner of Goya's peasant before the firing squad. I formalized the drawing into a line and put a circle around it. In the weeks leading up to the march, the Direct Action Committee produced 500 cardboard lollipop signs featuring Holtum's symbol. To align with the Easter weekend, the signs were printed in the same liturgical colors used by the church. Half of the signs were printed black on white to represent winter and death, and were carried by protesters on Good Friday and Saturday. Then, for Easter Sunday and Monday, they switched to white on green signs to represent spring and life. The signs with Holtum's symbol left a strong impression on those in attendance, and as the anti-nuclear movement grew, the symbol went along for the ride. The DAC was just one of several smaller groups that came together to form the CND, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. Not long after the London March, the CND adopted the symbol as its logo and began using it at other events. For example, one CND member named Eric Austin started making small ceramic badges with the symbol painted on them in black. They were handed out at rallies along with a note explaining that in the event of a nuclear war, the clay badges would survive the blast, while the humans wearing them would not. Over the next few years, the peace symbol changed subtly the more it was used. The earliest designs looked a bit more like the individual in despair that Holtum mentioned, with the lines widening as they met the circle, to suggest a head, feet, and hands. However, by the early 1960s, the symbol had become more formalized. The idea of a human figure was dropped, and the lines were drawn with uniform thickness from then on. Around that same time, the symbol made its way to the U.S., likely with the help of Bayard Rustin, an ally of Martin Luther King Jr. who had participated in the London March in 1958. Although the symbol had been associated with nuclear disarmament in the U.K., it took on a broader meaning in the U.S., it was quickly adopted by American civil rights movements, student peace unions, and anti-Vietnam War protesters. Once embraced by all corners of the counterculture, it became a sign of solidarity between the various causes, as well as a symbol of peace in general. It also started appearing on all the cliché places you'd expect, including Volkswagen buses, pendant necklaces, and tie-dye t-shirts. The peace symbol continued to grow in popularity throughout the 1970s, but not everyone was a fan of it. Among its most vocal detractors was the John Birch Society, a right-wing political advocacy group that claimed the symbol had satanic connotations and was secretly meant to represent an upside-down broken cross. Other fundamentalist groups claimed it was a medieval occult symbol, while others insisted it was a communist sign or maybe a new version of a Nazi badge used during World War II. 
Of course, all of those claims can be easily debunked today, as the origins and ideas behind the symbol have all been documented by its creator, who, you'll recall, was a Christian himself. Despite the politically motivated conspiracy theories leveled against it, the peace symbol still holds a prominent place in social movements around the world. In recent years, it's appeared as a symbol of hope at everything from refugee camps to gay rights marches to environmental protests. Part of the reason for its widespread usage is that Gerald Haltom in the CND never sought to copyright it. To this day, no one has to pay or seek permission to use the peace symbol. As the CND website puts it, a symbol of freedom, it is free for all. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can get in touch directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.